It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. The Sharks Audio Network presents Barracuda Background. Here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. In this episode of Barracuda Background, we're joined by former Barracuda captain, now turned development coach, John McCarthy. Mac, first of all, thank you very much for the time. You played four years at Boston University. You grew up in Andover, which is a suburb just outside of Boston. Was playing for the Terriers always a dream? Yeah, it was. Yeah, growing up, I um, used to go to the Bean Pot every year. Every year for Christmas, my at first it was Santa, but it was my parents uh, got me tickets to the Bean Pot for the second week. You know, the finals. And uh, when I was growing up, you know, I was, so this was like in the '90s. Um, BU was pretty dominant in that tournament, so it kind of started there. Yeah, it was always a dream for me to to play in the bean pot and, and particularly to play for BU um, because they had had so much success and you know I kind of idolized them growing up. So you know when when that kind of came to fruition, it was uh, yeah I guess you could say it was a dream come true. Can you recall some of your earliest hockey memories? Those first few times you strapped on the skates and got onto the ice. Yes, I do actually. Yes, so I uh, my father played through college and then I have an older brother that's two years older than me and he was playing at the time so when you're a kid you you want to be like your older brother obviously so I I could see him playing so I I started actually skating when I was about three and then my first team I still remember I grew up in a town called Haverhill before we moved to Andover Um, I was on Taylor Rental we had yellow jerseys and I remember, I think it was probably once a week. I was too young to really realize what was going on, but I think it was Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings or something. And um, everybody wanted to be the goalie at first um, until you kind of played it once and you're like, this is kind of boring. I want to go out and play. So uh, I do remember those days. When did you realize you had a future in the sport or at the very least had a future to play collegiately? You know, I, it, it happened late for me, and, and I don't even know if it ever really happened. You know, I, I kind of always had the mindset, you know, I had to outwork people, and, and I, you know, nothing was kind of guaranteed for me. So, um, you know, when I was in high school, and I went to a Catholic school in the Boston area, and it's a league called the Catholic Conference, and, you know, it's it's not really in the prep school league. Those Those teams tend to be a little bit stronger. The kids are a little bit older. Um, so I was just playing kind of, we, we play a lot of the public schools. So I was playing just regular high school and having some success, but you know, nothing, nothing crazy. And, um, I ended up getting recruited by a few schools. Um, and, and actually the reason I ended up at BU was because of, um, the, the strength coach that I worked out at, his name is Michael Boyle. Um, he's works in the Boston area. He, he was the strength coach at BU too. So he, I, I always worked out at his gym through high school and I was playing football and hockey. And he kind of, kind of reached out to BU for me and was like, listen, if you guys, you know, need a, need a guy that's not, you know, not necessarily going to be highly touted, but you know, has some athleticism, 
um, you know, take a look. And that's kind of how it got started. Were you in his ear asking him to go to bat for you? He just did it. You know, uh, um, uh, he, he actually never even mentioned, I didn't even know until um, the assistant coach who recruited me at BU, his name was Mike Davis. He told me, he's like, you know, the, the reason we, we kind of had you on our radar. And I was like, no, I had no idea. Um, he said it was for Mike. And, and you know, I, I, it's kind of the way Mike is. He, he, He'll, you know, do anything for you, but he's, he's not looking for praise. He's not doing it for the wrong reasons. He's doing it because he wants to help. Being that he was a strength coach, he had to have seen your work ethic, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, I, I, I uh, like I said, I was playing a couple different sports in high school. And I think if I was still working out at the gym and trying to get my workouts in because I knew how important it was to, to be in top shape, you know, in order to compete. So I think Mike kind of saw that and said, you know, this kid's willing to kind of go go a little bit extra than a lot of other kids at that age so I think that kind of you know motivated him to to see what he could do for me as a kid who'd you idolize yeah when I was growing up Cam Neely was you know the man in Boston we would always my brother and I you know sometimes we're two years apart so like every other year we'd be on the same team and then he would move up a level so I and I'd be behind Um, so we would always fight over who could be number eight because that was Cam Neely's number. He was just, you know, at, at that age, I, I went, I'd go to a few Bruins games at the old Boston Garden with with my dad, and uh, you know, just seeing him and and how big he was and how powerful, and he played hard. He was a power forward. He played tough, um, you know, and, and he could score too. So you know, he was definitely the guy that we wanted to be um, growing up, and and you know, to to you know. See him still working with the Bruins, I think, is great. What was it like at St. John's Prep, where you played both hockey and football during high school? Yeah, it was great. You know, I made lifelong friends at that school. Um, to be at my, So my older brother went there, um, and my father grew up in the Boston area. He went to a school called BC High, which is in the same conference. It's kind of a Catholic league, and, and the schools are very similar, so... Uh, to be honest, I didn't want to go there from the get-go, um, but it, I, the decision was made. So, um, you know, I, I, it's hard at that age. You know, I, I came from a town that it, it's the, the school is about 20 minutes away, so not a lot of kids. Actually, I think there was two or three kids from my town going to the school that I knew. So at age 14, it's tough. You know, you, you go, you don't know anybody. You got to make friends for the first time, really, um, with new people. And it was, it was hard. The first year was tough. You know, luckily, like you said, I had sports that, you know, always kind of allow you to have your own, your own little crew, I guess. Um, so it helps you kind of make friends and, and get guys to hang out with, but um, it was different. It was definitely an experience uh, unlike any I had had at that point in my life, but, you know, looking back, it, it made me a better person. Um and I had a great experience, you know, once I, once I made friends and, and, you know, got involved with sports and um, I had a great experience. I thought, you know, educationally, it was top notch. It got you prepared for college um, socially. It was great. Like I said, to meet new people. Um, and then athletically, I think, you know, uh, we had, we had great teams both in football and hockey. And uh, I think it kind of, it set me up for, for, for success, I guess. Yeah, you were a two-sport athlete. You were all-conference as a quarterback your final two seasons. Did you ever consider going the football route, or was it always hockey? I, uh, not, not really. I, 
we had really good teams, you know, as much as I'd love to, to take all the credit. I, I, I was, I was a okay football player. I, I could contribute. I, I kind of, I've always been, and it was similar to hockey. I, I kind of always was pretty good at kind of finding a way, how can I help the team win? You know, I, I don't need all the credit. I don't need to be the guy on the highlights, but if I can do my job and my job is helping the team win, then, and that's kind of how I, how I played football. You know, we had very talented athletes. My, my junior year, we had uh, one kid ended up going to Notre Dame, one to Vanderbilt, one to BC. So for Massachusetts high school football, that three division one kids on one team is kind of unheard of. So, you know, I kind of took the approach. These guys are really good. How can I get them the ball? But I didn't, to answer your question, I, I didn't never really seriously considered football. I, I had gotten a couple of looks just because of the team itself. People were always at our games watching because they had those big time recruits. And then, you know, by default, the other guys on the field are getting looks. But I, I always kind of loved hockey and um, knew that I wanted to, at that point, I wanted to at least try to, to see what I could do at the next level. And the other thing is football practice is three and a half hours long. So that was... That's no go for me. In 2015, you were inducted into the St. John's Prep Hall of Fame. What did that mean to you? That was cool. That was really cool. I didn't really know what it was going on. A lot of my friends have since been elected or, or yeah, been inducted, sorry, inducted into that as well. It was cool. There was a little ceremony. Um, I had just gotten home from the season and it was great. My parents got to come and, you know, it was, uh, I think there was like eight or nine people getting inducted at the same time. And it's a big honor because there's a lot of good athletes that went through that school. So it, it was great. Between high school and college, you played one season in the USHL. Before that, though, you had spent your entire life in the state of Massachusetts. And now you're living in Des Moines, Iowa. Was that a culture shock? Yeah, it was uh, It was definitely a culture shock. Like you said, I had spent, at that up to that point, I had spent my whole life in the Boston area. And, uh, you know, I, I <clears throat> BU, part of the deal was I had actually already committed to BU after my junior year of high school. But part of the deal was, as I kind of alluded to before, was <clears throat> they wanted me to play a year of junior hockey um, to kind of get, get used to a more intense schedule and, you know, get the football almost out of my system and, and just get focused on hockey. Iowa was it's different the people are different the area is different and you know up to up until that point I, I was used to Massachusetts so at first you know I maybe it's my personality I'm not a huge fan of change so you know looking back similar to to going to St. John's as opposed to going to my hometown high school you know it grew me as a person I was you know at that point I was uh, I had just turned 18 and doing my own laundry and cooking for myself and it made me grow up. I grew up a lot in, you know, six, seven, eight months, however long I was there. It was good for me. When was the moment that BU offered you? It was, uh, 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 they offered me, BU offered me after my junior year of high school. So I was uh, 16, turning 17. Um, and and they, they were who I always wanted to go with. Um, I went on a visit there and I stayed with some of the guys, saw the rink and saw how everything worked. And, and that was even just more of a push to, for me to go there. Um, I had talked, talking to a few other schools in the area, Providence, Harvard, Holy Cross. My dad went to Holy Cross. So they, they were, you know, talking to me a little bit, but you know, as, as soon as BU entered the picture for me, it was game over. My parents were, you know, kind of, not that they didn't like BU or anything, but they were like, you know, there's no reason to kind of 
choose, just don't, don't kind of panic and pick the first thing, you know, to take your time and, and look around. But, you know, I, I kind of kept insisting like, listen, I don't know why would I look around when this is what I want. So I ended, I committed and, and they were happy. We were happy. And, and like I said, we made the deal to play junior. So I was actually not going to go for, you know, I, I still had my senior year and then I had the year juniors and then I was going to go. So, you know, it, it was, it was a couple of years down the line, but I was excited and, and you know, it, it, uh, it worked out well. Following your freshman season in college, the Sharks selected you in the seventh round. Did you have any idea San Jose was interested in you and where were you when you found out you had been selected? It's actually pretty funny story. I, I know to answer your question, no, I had no idea I was getting drafted. I, I, didn't have a huge year points wise at BU or in juniors. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting anything and it was actually the year after it might've even been two years after I could have like my draft year per se, like, like people talk about their draft year. It's their first year that they're draft eligible. I can't remember if it was one or even two years after, but I wasn't expecting anything. I was, um, I was home from school out, uh, in Andover and I was actually at kind of a little, a little party, college party. Um, I had no idea. And then I just started, this is cell phones had come in the picture at this point, because I remember getting texts like, you know, congrats, you shark or something like that. And I was like, the first one I got, I was like, well, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So I kind of put it back in my pocket and then I got a couple more. And so I was like, what? And then the house that I was at, I went on the computer and I Googled it and looked it up and I had gotten picked and I was like, Whoa, I didn't, wasn't expecting this, but I was excited. And, uh, Tim Burke, the head scout, he's now an assistant GM, but the head scout back then called me the next day at my parents' house on the house phone. Um, so I talked to him and, uh, I met him. I actually met him at a, at a restaurant. Um, so I could get my draft jersey. He's from the Boston area as well. So I met him, I think the following week at the hardcover on route one and uh, he gave me my draft Jersey and uh, it was, uh, I was excited. I, 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 I was not expecting it, but after I found out, you know, I said that was kind of the question you answered earlier. Like, when did you realize you could kind of play at the next level? I was like, wow, you know, they, they believe in me and I'm going to do everything I can to, to make the team and, and play pro hockey. Tim Burke is one of the real characters in the game of hockey. What are some of your first memories of Berkey? I just remember meeting him at that restaurant and I had, I had actually met him before uh, when I was playing juniors, I had come home for Christmas and I was skating with some of my buddies at a local rink, just uh, kind of a pickup game and Berkey and his buddies were there too. And he came up to me and um, he had, he was family friends with a buddy of mine basically. So uh, he came up to me and, and Berkey, you gotta love him. He's very blunt. Like he's going to tell you right off the bat what he thinks of you. And he asked, he came up to me, said, where are you playing? I said, I'm playing in Des Moines and, you know, no introduction or anything. I, I didn't know who he was at that point. And, uh, you know, he says how many goals you got. And I told him and he said, you should have way more than that. <laughs> so it was kind of like right off the bat and I'm just like, okay, yeah, uh, all right. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of the, I remember meeting him there. And then, you know, after being drafted, you know, kind of the same thing, he's, he's going to tell you how it is. And you got to love that. You know, he's, he's not here to blow smoke. He's not here. He wants to make this organization better and he's going to do what he has to do to make that happen. And it's a business and that's the way it goes. And uh, 
you know, it's, it's great that he tells you what he's thinking because you always know where you stand. There's no games. Um, I think that's the only thing that guys truly get upset about in pro hockey is when they feel like they were lied to. And that's never going to be the case with Berkey. He's always going to tell you what he thinks. He's going to tell you real, you know, reality. And uh, sometimes it might be hard to hear, but you know, you'd rather have that than, than someone that's kind of telling you all the right things and then, you know, their actions aren't aligning with those words. Could you have imagined when everything was said and done that you'd put together a 10-year pro career that included over 600 professional games? Yeah, no, I I could not. I, looking back, you know, uh, is a little different than, you know, living in that moment. At the moment, I was like, wow, they, these guys think I can do this. You know, I you know, that's kind of the first time it entered my head. I was like, well, maybe I can, if they believe in me, why can't I do it? So, you know, I I think it's just kind of going day to day as far as, you know, the length of my career and the number of games, I always kind of approached it. If you look at it in that, in that, you know, length of time, it looks kind of daunting, but it's more of a, I always kind of took the approach in my career. You're going to show up, you know, whether it's a practice day or a game day, show up prepared, show up ready, outwork people um and you know take it seriously it's a job there's a tendency for younger guys to to think you know this is great you know i'm getting paid to play this game that i love and they're not treating it like a job and i think that's the downfall of a lot of careers i think you need to take it seriously and you need to prepare yourself mentally and physically you know to to compete every day so i think you know that's something that young guys should learn to do and uh, it's going to lead to longer careers. You made your NHL debut on January 9th, 2010 against the Detroit Red Wings in the peak of their powers. What do you remember about that night? They were, they were kind of probably, you know, one of the better teams in the NHL at that point. And they had Datsuk and Zetterberg. And I just remember looking across the red line and I played about a half a season in Worcester Um, So I was kind of acclimated to the pro game, but for me, the jump from uh, not that I played in the NHL all that long, but the jump from AHL to NHL was way bigger than the jump from college to the AHL. You know, the guys are just so big, so fast, so strong. The margin for error is so small, you know, the first game against Detroit, you know, I just remember looking across the red line and, and seeing those guys, Datsuk, Zetterberg and, I think Holmstrom was still playing on the team back then, friends and, you know, all the the Lidstrom. It was just kind of, I was kind of in awe, you know, and then, and then the puck drops and it's still the same game. You know, I think that's something that's, it's important for those, these young guys to, to remember. It's like, listen, you've been playing this game your whole life. It's still the same game. There's only one puck. There's still the same number of people on both sides. Yes, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, but it's still the same game you've been playing your whole life. So you know, you can still compete at that level. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an awesome moment and I was, I was definitely surprised. It's one thing to make your NHL debut. It's another to score your first NHL goal. That would come the following season in Edmonton against the Oilers on Nikolai Hobby Bullen. Tell us about that moment. In Edmonton, yeah, it was it was kind of a – Edmonton didn't have a great team that year, and uh, we were up a few goals. And so, you know, being on the fourth line, if the game's kind of – you know, the game's we're, – we're up by a few goals, you know, you're going to get a little more ice time. And, and it was uh, it was a play. I still remember it. Like, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And, 
there was a shot on goal, Tori Mitchell, you know, shot one on goal, the rebound spit right out to me right in front. And I just put it in a, a completely open net. So it's uh it's a memory that you'll never forget. And then you get to keep the puck and, and there's actually a staff member at uh, that works at the rink in San Jose that makes a little, he's a, he's a metal worker. So he, he makes a little plaque for you and he puts the puck in the plaque. It's cool. I still have it at, at my parents' house. And, and uh, it's a memory that you'll never forget. During your senior season at BU, you're a co-captain. You're playing the Miami of Ohio Redhawks in the national championship on ESPN. Gary Thorne's doing play-by-play. You're down 3-1 with under 60 seconds to go in the game. You manage to tie up the score and force overtime before eventually winning the thing 4-3 in OT. It's one of the wildest endings you'll ever see in a hockey game. What was it like to experience that in person? Yeah, that that and and my first NHL goal are probably my two, you know, favorite hockey memories. It was uh, it was a crazy game. It was crazy. We I, we scored first. They came back. They scored three in a row. We didn't have an answer, and we had a great team that year. You know, t- you know, looking back on it, I think we had ten guys that ended up playing NHL games, which is kind of unheard of. You know, we were in it as a group, and I think the 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 most indicative part of that is, you know, when we did score that tying goal, they kind of panned to the bench, and everybody kind of came together in one group celebrating. It's not like guys were in their little groups; it was we were all one group. And you know, even the guys that were on the ice came and jumped in the bench. And I remember coming back after the third, and Matt Gilroy and myself were the captains, and Matt shut the door and was like, you know, no coaches in here. You know, this is us, and uh, so we we kind of just talked like listen we came too far we can't cough this up now and so we came out kind of flying in overtime and then Colby Cohen scored the winner from the point it was actually a freak goal it was a deflection off their guy um, and it kind of curved into the net it was actually I, you don't see goals like that every day and uh it was it was great it was you know everybody's family was down there it was the game was in Washington DC um so we we had a little night out after and then we flew back and we had a a duck poke parade, kind of short duck poke parade, but it was cool. The, the school was kind of buzzing about it. And uh, like I said, it's a dad and my NHL, first NHL goal are, are probably my two biggest hockey memories. In 2019, when the NHL didn't allow for its players to participate in the Olympic Games, you were able to represent Team USA because you were technically on an AHL contract. Your coach was former Shark Tony Granato. And one of your teammates was the aforementioned Matt Gilroy. Walk us through that experience in the lead up to getting onto that team. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a kind of a crazy story too. I like you said that the Olympics weren't allowing NHL players in or even NHL contracts, so I was on a just a minor league contract. They felt like they could use a a, a bottom six forward that that was able to take face-offs and you know I that was face-offs or something throughout my whole career that I kind of took pride in and I was able to have some success doing them so they kind of went on the search for uh, for someone that fits that description and they uh like you said Tony Granato uh who's an unbelievable guy you know we still kind of keep in touch with texts here and there he's coaching at University of Wisconsin now but he had played for the Sharks uh, for a long time and was tight with everybody here. And so, you know, the word kind of got out that they were looking someone similar to me. And so, you know, San Jose really went to bat for me. They, they reached out and Tony came to a couple games, watched me in person and, and, uh, said, you know, listen, I, I, 
I think you, you, you know, you, you could help us, but uh, we'll, you know, we'll let you know. And uh, Jim Johansson, who, who actually unfortunately passed away before the Olympics even happened, called me and let me know that I had made the team. I was by myself. My wife had, or girlfriend at the time, wife now was still at home. So I, I called her and, you know, told her the news. She was ecstatic. Called my parents. They were ecstatic. And as far as the experience over there, like you said, it was cool to go through it with Matt, who, who we were roommates in college. We're still, he's one of my best friends. And, uh, so to have that experience, you know, with him and and just going through the opening ceremonies and and putting on the putting on the jersey, a lot of the guys on the team had played in you know tournaments in the past and been on Team USA, and I had never done that. I, I the World Juniors, I had never even come close to making that, or you know, even growing up uh, the satellite stuff. You know, I I never wore that jersey. So so picture day, I remember putting on the jersey for the first time was that was pretty cool. Um, so it, it was an unbelievable experience. You played hockey and football with Pete Frady's at St. John's Prep. If people aren't aware, Pete was diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, in 2012. Two years later, in 2014, the Ice Bucket Challenge took over the world. It was inspired by Pete's heroic battle with ALS. That challenge raised over $220 million in research. What do you remember about your friend Pete? Yeah, Pete. Pete was an unbelievable guy. He, um, I met him uh, at St. John's. He was a year older than me. We played football and hockey together. He was a captain of both, uh, and he was captain. He was three time and baseball too. So that kind of speaks to his character. But he's just like I alluded to earlier, going to a new school. You know, it, it's tough at that age. Kids, you know, kids are kids. You know, it's hard to make friends at at that age. But Pete always kind of looked out for me. I. You know, I was playing when I was a freshman, I was playing kind of maybe up a level or whatever. And so Pete always kind of looked out for me. He always, you know, went out of his way. It's not necessarily a cool thing to do at that age to to reach out to the kid that nobody knows or make sure I had a ride or make sure I knew everybody was going somewhere or whatever. He always looked out for me. And that was something that I'll never forget. Made made me always say this this guy's the real deal. You know, he's he's a he's a great human being and he deserves the best. I didn't know anything about it when I first heard I didn't about the disease. I, I had no idea what it was. I didn't know what it meant. And then I kind of obviously looked on the internet and I was just devastated. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. How does this happen? When a young person gets sick, you know, cancer or something like that, you know, a lot of people are like, it couldn't happen to a nicer kid. That might not even necessarily always be true, but with Pete, it is. It's like this kid is is the best the best guy in the world and how that how is this happening to him in typical Pete fashion he turned it into a positive he said all right I'm going to dig my heels in this is this is I've been dealt this hand and it is what it is I'm going to dig my heels in and like you said the stuff he did for ALS like I, I think awareness wise now everybody knows what it is because of the ice bucket challenge and because of the stuff that he did uh, not to mention the financial stuff that he did to to raise money for research and I think you know I've heard some positive news they're getting closer and closer to figuring out what causes it, which eventually is going to lead to something that, that treats it. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, I would always, you know, go up and see him. He was living at his parents' house uh, towards the end and he had 24 seven care and it was awful. Every time I left the house, I was in tears, you know, he couldn't speak or, but he wasn't looking for, for sympathy. He was, he's like, this is, this is, this is what it is. It is what it is. I'm going to do what I'm going to turn this into a positive. So speaks to his character and, you know, I'm still tight with his family and uh, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's the best. Pete's the best. 
He played under the legendary Jack Parker at BU. He spent 40 seasons with the Terriers. You also had David Quinn, now the head coach of the New York Rangers, as an associate coach on that staff during your time at BU. What was it like playing for both of those guys? Yeah, yeah. Coach Parker had a, you know, he's he's kind of a figurehead in Boston. Like he, he's been coaching since the seven at, at the time he had been coaching <clears throat> since the seventies and he's kind of a legendary guy. So you're, you're kind of in awe at, at, when you first see him. And, and even when he comes on the ice for the first time, you're just like, how's this going to go? You know, he's, he's like the coach in the area, but you know, then, then you do something wrong and he yells at you the first time and it kind of gets rid of all that tension. So um, he was, he was tough, but fair. He, you know, he ran a tight ship. It was no, no real, if things weren't going well, things weren't going well for anyone. And, you know, he was going to let you know it. Um, so he, he taught me a lot. He taught me, you know, how to compete, what it takes to compete at that level and, and what you have to do to, to get yourself ready. Um, and I'm still in touch with him and, and he's been great, you know, ever since my career ended, he's been reaching out and making sure I'm all right health wise. And, you know, I told him I was getting into the coaching side of things and he was excited, uh, for me. So, um, you know, he's been, he's been offering me little, little bits of advice here and there. So he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, he, he, he had a positive impact on my life for sure. And like you said, David Quinn was, he was actually the associate coach when I was at BU and, you know, he's currently with the Rangers. Um, same thing, you know, everybody kind of knew Quinny was, wasn't going to be, uh, an assistant or an associate coach for long, um, you know, his approach to the game, he had a background with USA hockey, he coached the national development program for a couple of years and had bounced around at a couple of different schools. Um, and, you know, he was a skilled recruiter uh, and his knowledge of the game was, was elite. So everybody kind of knew he would, he would eventually be on to bigger and better things. And he ended up taking over the BU program and, and now he's in the NHL. You know, he, he started with the Colorado system and uh, that now he's with uh, the New York Rangers. So he's uh he's a great guy. I too, I saw him this summer a couple times and had a couple phone calls with them. Um, tough to kind of see people in person with what's going on in the world, but uh, same, same thing with him. You know, he's been always, you know, offering a helping hand and, and anytime I need anything, I can reach out to him. So to have, you know, coaching mentors like that, um, it means a lot, you know, and, and it's helpful, you know, when you come and come in and you're trying a new, a new profession, any, any, help any kind of words of advice are, are huge so to have guys like that in your corner is, is a huge advantage for me that's going to do it for this episode of barracuda background a big thanks to john mccarthy i'm nick nolenberger saying so long until next time